tonight, as we gaze on the crucified Christ, and many of us are filled with awe and horror and wonder and fear and gratitude, I want us to ask the question, why? Why did Jesus die? Now, from a historical perspective, we know We know that the last thing Rome wanted was an uprising in the Middle East. And since Rome was the occupying force in that area, this is the way they dealt with threats to Pax Romana. They crucified those who threatened the public peace. And second, we can see that the Jewish leaders were retaliating against Jesus for what he had done in the temple a few days before. For, Jew, for the Romans, you don't mess with the peace. And for the Jews, you don't mess with the temple. And thirdly, we can see that Jesus himself provoked his own crucifixion. Because he believed it was his destiny to die in this way. Now, all three of those issues, Jesus' own sense of his destiny... The Jewish people's retaliation for Christ messing with the temple. The Romans squelching of any disturbance of the peace. All three of those. That's a way of answering the question why on a historical level. But when we push deeper. We bump up against a central theme in scripture. It helps to see this physically. If your eyes are good enough and you can see up here, here's where the crucifixion is in my Bible, okay? A little bit of pages. There's a, it's on around page 1,090. So there's about 1,000 pages of backstory. 1,000 pages of this story have already gone on. And when you look at the crucifixion in the context of the Bible... As a single story. You begin to see things. Things that you can't see by looking at it. Purely as a historian. Let me show you what I mean. The Bible begins with an intoxicating portrait. Of a creator God. Who is sovereign over all. Forming and filling the world, and then celebrating the goodness of his creation. Once you leave that birthday party of the cosmos, you immediately run into three stories of evil. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the famous story of Adam and Eve Of the forbidden fruit and of the serpent. And in this story we see the evil of human rebellion. Then you read a little further. And in Genesis chapter 6 and 7. We have the story of Noah and the flood. And we encounter the rank wickedness of evil. You read a little further and you get to Genesis chapter 11 and you see the evil of human arrogance that that reaches to astonishing heights on a very literal level. 
Now, in each of these stories, God responds to evil. He moves firmly toward it and judges it. And then, in in rather surprising ways, he pours out grace. Always consistent with the character of God that you're beginning to pick up on, but always in, in fresh and surprising ways. And my point is that as you continue to read through the Old Testament... What you get over and over and over is the strange and mysterious and messy story of God's project of justice within a world of injustice. You see, what I'm saying is that evil is the problem that the Bible deals with. This is the story of the Bible. The fundamental story of the Bible is how God is dealing with evil. Now, once you pick up on this theme and you read the Bible as a single, large, capacious narrative... Then you begin to, and, and you get to that moment in the story, in the drama of scripture, when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, when you're attuned to the fact that the story is, the Bible is fundamentally about how God is dealing with evil. And then you begin to read the gospels, the biographies of Jesus. You are struck by the fact that from the moment of his birth until his last breath, there is an eruption of evil in a unique way. When he's born, Herod slaughters all of the infants in his community. This is this is evil that that is beyond you can't even hardly wrap your mind around. It. Have you seen any of the pictures, the paintings of the massacre of the innocents? They are bone chilling. And then Herod's successor, he brutally and unjustly cuts off the head of Jesus' first cousin because his stepdaughter was probably dancing naked in front of him and asked that as a reward. Evil. And then there are the religious leaders like the corrupt Caiaphas who gossip and lie and they're constantly reaching out in manipulative and coercive ways trying to trick Jesus. And ultimately, there's the trial before the Roman governor, Pilate. And in each of these cases, we see political and religious systems that overreach themselves. And they end up cruelly destroying an innocent man. And in the Gospels, just like in our world today, there is a dimension to this evil that cannot be explained by Freud saying it's all motivated by sex or by Marx saying it's all driven by money or by Nietzsche saying that power is behind all of it. No, when you read the Gospels, there is a deeper, darker power at work. Evil. It has this hidden dimension. There's more to it than meets the eye. There's a force to evil that seeps into society and companies and organizations and legislative bodies and churches. And sometimes it works through power structures and sometimes it works through isolated individuals. 
You see in the Gospels the deep darkness that Jesus is in conflict with is a larger and darker force at play in our world. It's slimy and nameless and scary and formless. In the conflicts that surround Jesus, the political and religious leaders that orchestrated and sanctioned and carried out his brutal execution, they are not the real enemy. The real enemy to be met head on by the power and love of God is the anti-creation power. The power of death and destruction and corruption and decay. And once you become attuned to the way the Bible is shaped and the way the Gospels tell us the story, you see that the cause of Jesus' death is evil. Evil is the cause of his death. But that's not all. In John chapter 12, not long before he's crucified, very close to the events that Brian read to us, Jesus is having a conversation with some folks. And in the midst of that conversation, he makes this strange comment. He says, now comes the judgment of this world. Now this world's ruler is going to be thrown out when I have been lifted up from the earth. Somehow, Jesus is lifting up his physical crucifixion, his being nailed to a piece of wood and hoisted into the air. Somehow, his actual physical lifting... Somehow that historical event, that action will constitute God's victory over this world's ruler. Who seems to be not merely the politicians and the leaders, but the evil power that stands behind them and is using them for its dark purposes. So when we look at the cross-shattered Christ... What do we see? What are we looking at? Why is he there? What is he doing? Well, Jesus on the cross is how God, the sovereign creator, is dealing with evil. But how can this be? What kind of sense does that make? How can the horrible, ugly, brutal execution of Jesus Christ be the means of rooting out, defeating evil in the, in the world, in the creation? Well, this is a deep mystery. There is so much that can and must and needs to be said. But there's one issue that I want to point out tonight. On the cross, Jesus drew down upon himself the full weight of evil. The concentrated calamity of the cosmos. That's why he's on the cross. Think about it like this. On August the 17th, 1969, Hurricane Camille hit the Gulf Coast as a Category 5 hurricane. 
supposed to go into New Orleans. So my family, I was born in New Orleans. We were, were living in New Orleans. I wasn't there yet, but they were thinking about me. They were on a very long commute. There's only two ways out of New Orleans, three ways. Flats, it turns at the last minute, it misses New Orleans, it was going to obliterate New Orleans, and it hits the Mississippi Gulf Coast and flattens the whole coast of Mississippi. And then, as hurricanes do, it began to move forward and it dissipates, it loses its strength. On the evening of August the 19th, Hurricane Camille has weakened to a tropical depression. And it begins to move across the mountains of Virginia. And something happened. A combination of its low pressure, the significant amount of moisture that had been dumped on the mountains the day before, five inches of rain. And something about the actual geography of the mountains themselves. Somehow, all of these things created the perfect storm on the eastern side of the Blue Ridge Mountains, right over Nelson County. At Davis Creek, more than 40 inches of rain fell in eight hours. It was so intense, Reports tell of birds seeking shelter in trees that drowned from the rain. Our own Mike Trainum was telling me a few days ago that for years in the hollers coming down the mountains from the top, it was washed away. And where there was once trees and grass and fields, there was nothing but bedrock left. The water rose so fast People ran for their lives. According to the National Weather Service at the time, it was the probable maximum amount of rain theoretically possible. Those who survived told stories of having to cup their hands over their mouths and their nose so they could breathe. 1% of the population of Nelson County was killed. Now, Here is Jesus, God himself in the flesh. And like I've already said, his birth alone began to draw down upon him like the Blue Ridge Mountains. It began to draw down upon him the evil of the world. And as his life and ministry progressed, it got more and more intense until finally at the cross, All the strands of evil throughout human history, throughout the biblical story, they come rushing together from the demons shrieking at him in the synagogue to the sneering misunderstanding of the power brokers to the frailty and the folly of his own friends and his own followers at the cross. All of the powers of evil gathered themselves for one last battle. One last attempt to thwart the good purposes of the creator God. To pull the cosmos and the human race down into the depths. So what are we seeing when we look at Jesus on the cross? We are seeing God himself drawing down upon himself the full weight of evil. Evil, the collected calamity of the cosmos, he has drawn it to himself. 
There is God hanging on the cross like a salve sucking the poison into himself out of the wound. And so when we hear Jesus from the cross in John chapter 19 verse 30. When we hear him say, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What are we seeing? What are we seeing when when, when we look at the whole story of the Bible and the whole story of the gospels? What are we seeing? We are seeing that that is not a death gurgle. It's not Jesus saying it's finished. I'm done for. It is the cry of victory. The the mission of God. God's agenda to deal with evil. It is finished. This is a triumphant cry. This is the creator of the cosmos who will not relinquish the cosmos to the evil. This is him stepping in front of the hurricane. Drawing all of its power into himself. It is finished. The long story of the Bible. The long story of God himself dealing with evil has reached at long last its climax. Listen once again to the last verse that Lisa read to us from Colossians. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. Here is Paul talking about what Jesus was doing on the cross. And he goes through all of our favorite stuff. Forgiveness for sins. The law is canceled. But you know what he reaches for at the height of his list? He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. And he put them to open shame. He triumphed over evil. That's the cross. That's the message of it. Everything else finds its meaning in that. Everything else is subsidiary to that. Evil has been defeated. At the cross, evil did its worst and its power was annulled. Now, Paul wrote this letter. You know where he was when he wrote it? In prison. In a Roman prison. Paul is under no illusions about the continuing effects and power of evil. He knows that evil has teeth and claws and it leaps with a snarl from the debating halls of the philosophers onto the stage of the real world. Paul knows firsthand that evil is still turning gardens into deserts and human lives to dust and ashes. He knows that evil continues to rage and yet he can look at the cross and he can say there's the victory. There it is. There's the triumph. And yet, if you ask Paul, sitting in that prison cell, how's it going? With a body racked by pain from torture that has happened after the cross. He would say, I serve a mighty Savior. How's it going? I serve a mighty Savior. Because he knows that evil has been defeated on the cross of Christ. He knows that this is the central theme of scripture. That Jesus has achieved victory over the powers of evil and darkness. And evil has forever been subverted. Out of the virgin's womb, Christ was conceived. 
Out of that world-threatening death on Calvary, life was born anew. You see, Christ's sacrifice is a gift that exceeds every debt. On the cross, our sins were consumed. Evil was broken. And he did this. Jesus did this. Paul said, 20 years after the cross, there's Paul again. And he writes these words about Jesus. He loved me. He gave himself for me. When you're suffering from the guilt and the consequences and the shame of your own sins. When you are suffering from the sins of others against you. You see, what I'm trying to say is that the church, we've been very good at preaching the gospel to the sinner. But at the heart of the cross, it's the gospel to the sinned against. At the heart of the cross is the gospel to those who have felt evil against them. And it is saying to you. To those of us who struggle with the tentacles of evil that have wrapped themselves around our own characters. And our own imaginations. And our own habits. It's broken. Evil is broken. It's been defeated. And there is coming a day when its final overthrow will happen. And we will live in this world without evil. And without the memory of evil. And without any of the residue. Evil has been defeated. From the cross Jesus said. It is finished. 